Nepal's leg of the Cricket World Cup League 2 preview under 19th World Cup, Ireland enter the ECL, and we hear from New Zealand and former Hong Kong international Mark Chapman. That's all coming up in the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you for joining us again for the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick, and with me are the EC regulars back from a week off up in Brisbane. Our favourite left-arm orthodox spinner, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Well, I'm, I'm glad that I maintained the, uh, the top of the list there. After your sign-off last week's podcast, I thought you may never want me on again. <laughs> Deary me. You know, it was all tongue-in-cheek, Timothy. The trio is the best team lineup that we have here. And I'm, I'm very grateful to have you back with your dulcet tones. And it's good to be back. Um, yes, just timing didn't work out last week with you working like day in, day out with these 24-hour... How many days in a row did you work? Like 10 in a row on the BBL and then the, the one time that... The first BBL match I've been uh, been taken out to see and then we, we missed out. But yes, good to be back. Lots happening and uh, lots coming up. How are you? Are you uh, feeling human yet or are you just holding out for the end of the big bash? I'm slowly getting back to it. I managed to jag two days off here in between the regular season and the start of the finals. Uh, my colleague did the Heat Renegades game yesterday, which actually bumped the Brisbane Heat out. Who, yeah, I have plenty of opinions about the Brisbane Heat. You got to see them in person, which is which is great. But no, glad to have you back, Tim. And yes, I am feeling a little bit more human now as I just finished that 13-day consecutive stretch of work. Uh, a man who is often working hard. Don't really know what he's working in, but he always seems to be busy. A man known as Copernicus Cricket on Twitter. Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? Uh, well, it's usually uh, making coffee, so nothing as exciting as being flown around the country covering the Big Bash. But yes, I'm, I'm all right. I finally have a new, well, newish phone, um, which has allowed me to get back online, which is good because most of my time on my old phone was spent on WhatsApp and, and now I can jump back in the group and contribute again. Yeah, good to see you back in civilization, Nick. You yeah, it was uh, pretty quiet in, in the group chat with Tim and I just, you know, venting about a whole lot of things, but glad to have you back. Uh, before we do jump into the first topic of the night, I did want to say, boys, that I finally had uh, Peter Della Pena's book delivered to me inside the selection room at Quest for T20 Cricket Stardom. Ooh. And I've got to say, boys, after I finish the book that I'm currently reading, I'll be starting on it. But the big impression I've got is this book is dense. It's 457 pages and the font looks about size 8. It looks to be jam-packed with cricket content. Does that surprise anyone? No, it doesn't. But the other reason I wanted to bring it up is that our very own Tim Cutler got a special mention in the in the first pages as a bit of a thank you from Peter Delapena. So well done, Tim. Uh, I know that you were reading a lot of his excerpts as he was trying to put the book together. Uh, was there anything else you did in, in support of the great man to the cause? I've made one appearance so far. I'm about 70 pages in and you must have got the version that didn't send the... Um the magnifying glass, so you can you can read it. And you, I think he refers to it as a, uh, a spider killer. It's definitely got some heft to it. I get a mention in there for expressing expletives when young Giacomo Lamplow drops a catch in front of me at uh, Clontarf when the USA beat Hong Kong the 2015 T20 World Cup qualifiers. But I don't know. I guess you'll just have to read to find out. There's a there's a lot of content to get through. Yeah, I can't wait to jump into it. Uh, if you are looking to purchase a book, it is available on Amazon to everyone out there as well. Let's jump straight into 
to our first topic of conversation tonight, and it does relate to the Cricket World Cup League 2 leg in Nepal, which starts next week. It's Nepal's first matches of the tournament. They are having to do a little bit of catch-up, given that several of the other teams have played eight matches already, but they do host this one alongside the USA and Oman. All the matches will be played at the Tribhuvan University ground, of course, in Kathmandu, which is their only real recognized international ground. Uh, It's an important tournament for Nepal, this, because they need to make the place a fortress and given that they are their first fixtures it will make it a little bit more difficult the pressure of a few of the other teams doing some early running i'll start with you tim this is a very important series for for nepal to capitalize on absolutely i'm not sure how many leagues that we've seen where teams are eight ODIs behind. We know that each team will play 36 ODIs as part of this series, but even so, to look at the table, you've got PNG eight games in and haven't won, and in the negative and net run rate, um, the likes of USA at the top. First ODIs in Nepal soil, I'm sure we're going to see huge crowds to come out, but you know, as you say, they, they really need to turn that TU ground into, into a fortress, because otherwise well, their campaign might be over before it starts if they can't start catching up some ground on Oman, Scotland, and well, Namibia, and the USA, who all at the top and as we've seen in the past they've always struggled with that middle order and scoring runs around Paris Kadka and you know we still haven't seen any of those young players coming through whether it's an Ari or um, young Rohit Pudel coming through from the under-19s really fortify that middle order so I just hope for their sake they can find some runs that middle order because otherwise I think they're in danger of being run, run over by a really strong and high-performing USA team who's in India at the moment preparing and then Oman who just keep on winning Yeah, you you talk about it being a fortress. That's one of the things that Nepal really has over, well, pretty much every other team in in this league is the fanatical home support and and the fact that they can pack out stadiums and have that intimidation factor, which, yeah, that's a massive advantage and and they should be looking to capitalize on it. I think, as we always say, the batting's always going to be the problem for them. They just have perennially struggled in that discipline and they just, they need to find someone to help because, yeah, if Paris doesn't fire, they're going to struggle to score runs. Just thinking, you're talking about the T ground being the only uh, recognized international ground they had a couple of other ones in the works any um updates on on how those going Bez? yeah it, it seems like the malpani ground is slowly coming together but the estimated time of that being completed is probably a long way away the gautam buddha stadium complex has a lot of ambition and a lot of people are trying very hard to get that off the ground but it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon uh, that's to be in chitwan that particular ground but Pokhara probably has the next best ground around the country that could perhaps, by some emergency measure, be available if it's required. But there would be some things that, that need to happen for that to be available. The international football ground's there next door in, in the complex, and it's the ground actually on the foot of the Annapurnas where many photos are taken and that lovely picture where the, the mountains are actually almost a sight screen for someone batting at the other end, and I can personally attest to that. But yeah, it looks as if those grounds are quite a little bit away. Uh, but to come back to the conversation of, of this Nepali team, and, you know, it, it does fit our, at least our theory about associate cricket and the lack of play being uh, hindering the batting more so than hindering the bowling. And if you look at that squad, you know, outside of Paris Kadka, they really do need to find another run scorer. You know, Gyanendra Mala has struggled for runs even before he was given the captaincy. And now that the burden of captaincy lies on his shoulders, it looks to be a pretty difficult task for him. You know, yeah, outside of Paris, Dependra Singh Ari hasn't quite hit the heights that many would have liked at this point of his career Rohit Pudel obviously has a few more years to fill into this senior role you know he's still in his mid-teens so there's still time for him to develop but yeah they find themselves
themselves in, a, in an awkward phase here where they do need to find runs from somewhere. And on the bowling side, and, and actually someone who has contributed with the bat in the past in Sompel Kami, he's out injured. You know, a couple of young players coming through now. Kamal Singh Iri is a young medium pace bowler who might get the opportunity to play with, with him absent. But a lot of the responsibility falls back on the spin. You know, we talk about Lalit Rajbanshi and players like that. But Sandeep Lamachane at this point definitely needs to step up. There was some interesting talk this week in Australia with his selection into the Nepal squad and perhaps his own team in, in Melbourne Stars not quite knowing that he was actually going to be unavailable for the final series, which is disappointing for them. Uh, but he will represent his country and he is back for Nepal. And I think for, for the other teams, it might be a case of just taking the attack to some of the other bowlers and perhaps seeing the, the 10 overs of Sandeep Lamachane off. Yeah, we saw that with some of the matches in the Asia uh, regional qualifiers for the T20 World Cup qualifying tournament. And even in the warm-up game with uh, Malaysia, they had done their homework on Sandeep and, and they weren't just playing him out. So it'll be interesting to see if the other teams do play him out and let him pick up 10 cheap overs or if they go after him and really try and intimidate Nepal's bowling. Because if, if Sandeep is having a bad day, that can affect everybody else's performance as well. And you know, when, when your style guy is struggling, it really messes up the plans. Yeah, it might be a good time to, to bring in the other squads for this tournament. Uh, Oman, we always seem to have the same opinion on them, but they are one of the stronger teams at this level. And granted, they, they do have the swing bowling. They might need to rely a little bit more on the, on the spin factor that they do have between Kawa Ali's leg spin and Zishan Maksud. Jay Odedra might get a run as well. You'd almost put them as favourites for this tri-series if they piece together everything, Tim. Yeah, I think they've got that all-round game that will probably be better suited to the wicket that we'll expect to be awaiting the touring sides in Nepal, a little bit lower, a little bit slower. You know, we've seen various qualities of wickets in the T20 leagues. So to see what type of square is brought up for these matches, quite a lot of cricket for a square that hasn't had that much played on it at, at this quality, although they have like the PM's Cup and whatnot, which is a, the 50-over league on this field as well. Don't So I just think that they've got the best all-round team to play really on all wicket types across that team. You've got the pace below Khan. I see Kelly Muller's in the squad as well, although he hasn't been playing as much and then the spin you know everybody bowls everybody bats from Kawa Ali to Zisha Maksud as you said two very capable bowlers turning away from the bat and then Muhammad Nadim as well again keeps scoring what is he bat, batting four and five scoring runs and um, and bowling so yeah I, I still think they're they're up there as favourites to go very close to, to to winning this league and I think this type of so scrappy type of pitch I think will really suit them. Yeah it's interesting you talk about the you know looking for the spin option looking at the US squad they've really gone all in on the spin you know they've got Krima Gore, Nostush Kenjige, Nisag Patel, Timur Patel, Stephen Taylor another one so they've got five guys who can bowl spin, which would make Peter Delapena very happy, no doubt. So they've got four guys who can bowl spin, and Elmore Hutchinson is the kind of seam bowler that you know gets a bit of cut off the pitch as well. So I think that's what they're expecting with the conditions. Um, in terms of how they're going to play it, yeah, I'd say Amana the favourites, and we we kind of talked about this in our um, end of year wrap up. But I think USA are sort of they're the new Oman in a way. You, you never really know what to expect with their performance, whereas Oman's been getting a lot more consistent, and their their team's been gelling after maybe a year or two of chopping and changing a lot of their roster they've settled on a core of players and they've committed to them and they've, they've been doing really well as a unit 
One more story that has come out of the USA camp in relation to this tri-series is that Stephen Taylor has been stripped of the vice-captaincy for disciplinary reasons. The quote which did come from a story from Peter Delapana was that he was failing to display the high standards of behaviour and professionalism that are expected of all USA national team cricketers and that was during last month's tour of the UAE. We'll cover that in more depth if we do receive more news but just before we move on boys, I was wondering if we can get some... uh, uh, predictions for this series as to who might win the tri-series i might put mine first i'm going to go in a pretty even split i'm going to say oman takes a series with nepal second and the usa third but to be honest this is one of the more open tri-series that i think we've come across so far in this tournament and it could go all three ways yeah i reckon i think oman will drop one game against the us but they'll probably be too strong for nepal the us you never know what's going to happen but I, I think they'll at least win one game against nepal probably two and and Nepal, honestly, unless they have improved significantly in their batting, I think the other two sides have got just too much bowling firepower. So, yeah, Paris is going to have to go big, or, or I think I could see them losing all their games, which the crowd at TU will not be happy about. Hopefully there's no riots this time. Yeah, I'm with you there. Look, as much as they'll be up for it with the first ever ODIs there, yeah, I've got 3-2-1. I just can't work out whether it'll be Oman only dropping the one game or USA, but I can see Nepal pulling one out of the fire as they generally do in these situations against one of those two teams. I'll go Oman, three wins, USA two, Nepal one. Yeah, that's fair enough, boys. I can see any of these results happening. Uh, the tournament starts on the 5th of February and all the matches are being played at the Jabruvan University International Cricket Ground. Do we know? they're going to be streamed yet i can see they're on kurdic per tv but i don't know if they do live streaming can you enlighten us here well, if it's a similar situation to what they've done in the past, Counterpoor HD will stream their television feed to a Facebook and potentially YouTube pages. That's the ideal situation at this point, but I'm not sure that's been confirmed yet. So hopefully we hear some more news over the course of this week in regards to that. Uh, let's move on, boys, and we can talk about the ECL. And the ECL, the European Cricket League, has its final competitor confirmed, released yesterday on Thursday that Ireland uh, will enter with the CIYMS Cricket Club of Belfast being their entrant after winning the All-Ireland Sunday Independent T20 League. There's a couple of notable names in their team that many associate cricket fans will be familiar with. James Cameron Dow, who of course plays international cricket for Ireland at the moment. Mark Adair, one of their biggest prospects. Chris Doughty, uh, Jacob Mulder, as well as former captain Nigel Jones. They've also been bolstered by Miguel Pretorius as an overseas professional from South Africa. He's just come off the back of winning the recent T10 competition in Abu Dhabi with the Arabian side, and they've boasted a number of former international cricketers as overseas pros. Craig McMillan's been a pro there. Rassi van der Dussen's played there, who is featuring in the Proteus team at the moment, as well as fellow South African Justin Kemp. So they are a team with quite a bit of history, and it's that's something that the ECL prize itself on is pushing the history of these clubs in towards a domestic competition and striving to be the European champions. But Tim, the teams are basically all locked up now and looking at the 16-team competition, there's a lot of pedigree amongst many teams and VOC will have their work cut out for them if they are to defend their tournament title. Well, absolutely. And I think the strategy that Daniel Weston has spoken about building from the bottom and and going up is is starting to really bloom. Um, 16 teams, I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is where to from here because 16 teams is a 
is a large event already. I know it's only T10, but it's it's bigger than any one round uh, World Cup we've got uh, in senior competitions. So where to? I guess this will be a real watershed year. It's one thing getting the brand out there like happened this year. And now it's sort of converting that into actually getting cricket fans interested and also the people of, of Europe, as Daniel has spoken about. But yeah, with a lot of these things, we're not really going to know until the players actually get there. They're playing in a format that a lot of them wouldn't have a lot of experience in. You know, VOC ran over all comers last year and with the inclusion of England, Scotland, Ireland, or I should say England and Wales because it's the ECB, which basically covers off the British Isles there. Going to be really exciting T10 cricket. I think the novelty value like we've spoken about that was there last year with a lot of these teams from the other countries and not necessarily historically strong. Um, it's going to be interesting to, to see how they uh, match up against the, these stronger nations and just hoping it doesn't get too stratified too early that we sort of see two halves of the have and the have nots but um, look with the design of the, the tournament it should be over and, and done with quite quickly the way that it's structured but uh, yeah it's exciting whether VOC can carry it on with that experience or whether we see one of these new teams again playing in a format that they wouldn't have had uh, too much time playing before. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about the novelty value there, Tim, and, and that was certainly a big part of, I think, the success of the first edition, just the, the novelty value of seeing, you know, guys like Pavel Florin and, and a Romanian side and, a, you know, teams that people haven't seen before. But, you know, you look at the structure of the tournament and, and what Dan Weston has going on behind the scenes with some administrators who've been involved in, for example, the European Football Champions League. And you look at that and what gives that tournament so much prestige and, and so much legitimacy compared to the local tournaments where these clubs have you know the history and, and the connection to the local areas it's just seeing the top players going up against each other and you know last year's edition was a lot of fun but obviously seeing the Dutch internationals um, they, they were significantly better whereas here you you know you've got an English club a Scottish club an Irish club and the Dutch club so now you've got some of the cream of the domestic circuit in the top associates and of course Ireland you, you start to have a bit more of a, a serious cricket angle to it and yeah it's still T10 and, and I'm sure it'll still be a lot of fun but the legitimacy of the matchups between the players I think is going to give this a bit more prestige and and I think that's what Weston's going for here and I think it'll work good point about stratification but you know you look at the football and there are weaker teams and you know okay sure they get bundled out early but they're there and if they do put it together a good team or a good run they can make it through like anyone and just the fact that they're allowed to be there and allowed to play is the important thing well in the T10 format you know sometimes it only takes one good knock to take a game away from a perceived stronger team so we might see you know one or two individuals from some of these other clubs you know I think of someone like Siva Kumar Perialwa from Cluj Cricket Club who is capable of going ballistic by himself and you know winning a game potentially on his own bat there's a lot of potential there but you guys brought up a really good point and it's about coming from the bottom up with the clubs already steeped in history playing in in something that's new and, and building the game upwards rather than something like the T20 Slam working its way from the top down and having people you know just collect a paycheck for two or three weeks cricket. Uh, I was talking to Dan Weston about this and Swardston Cricket Club, which won the ECB leg to end up qualifying for this tournament, played Sheffield Collegiate in their stretch to, to end up winning this. And Sheffield Collegiate is the home club of one English captain, Joe Root. So it would have been interesting, you know, had Swardston actually qualified for the ECL if Joe Root was able to be pulled into the tournament. I, I'm not too sure how that would have gone, but it's going back to the same point. You know, you're working from the bottom up and these are create clubs that have been for, for some of these countries have been operating for over 100 years and to have this tournament being the culmination of all these champion teams you know we, we talk about it most weeks now it's only a positive thing for European cricket and with the European qualification coming up again for the new World Cup 
the the 2021 World Cup. I think there's something like 24 European countries competing, and at the last qualifying tournament, every single competing team, and I think there was 18 last year, every single team won. So there is quality across the board in certain individual players, and T10 cricket can be what evokes you know some some excellent play and, and some great performances and perhaps some giant killings. But the ACL will run from the 31st of May to the 8th of June this year, and of course we'll be covering it in depth at Emerging Cricket, and hopefully we'll get Daniel Weston back on talking about the tournament. Uh, He's always up for a chat. Uh, Let's now go to the Under-19s World Cup, and we've seen plenty of associate and emerging four members competing in that. Afghanistan have qualified for the quarterfinals by topping Group D, but some of the other performers, Japan, UAE, uh, Scotland, Nigeria, and Canada. I know Canada went 0-3, Nick, and I'm sure you're disappointed, but I do want to start again with Japan, and this, I think, was a result of continued exposure against some high-level full member teams, but it did seem to me like they did improve across the board and in in that game against England they did make their highest total of the tournament which was in the 90s they did fail to make triple figures but there were a couple of encouraging signs you know Shunaguchi entered the 20s and looked really comfortable and I'm really excited to see how he develops in his career but to to maybe start with Japan Tim and to be honest you know we we knew coming in that it was going to be difficult but for them to compete on the world stage and get that exposure it's uh, vitally important in in all their players uh, development for the future. Yeah, all I can say is for people to read your your article, really, I think it was um, so eloquently put about how the media or at least the, the effects of a, a subcontinent sort of heavy focus around clicks and ads and whatnot takes away from what's happening outside of that foggy sphere. And of course, there's the big three there to take into account with Australia and England as well. But, you know, that people have been arguing about whether the qualifications should be have a global qualifier to make sure that, quote unquote, we get the best teams and not these regional teams. No real support prize but most of this is coming from the Nepalese quarter that have got so far in the past but missed out on net run rate against the UAE and then you know to hear their fans saying well then they're seeing teams like Nigeria and Japan being bowled out for 40 50 60 so well it's not about that it's a development tournament and these teams are only going to grow and improve we're already seeing that and we're seeing that from Japan especially who I thought going into this tournament were going to struggle a lot and maybe even more than they have so to see them perform the way that they have just shows the point of having this exposure that they wouldn't have had it Otherwise, if it went into a global qualifier, they, they may not have made it through and don't have this. And that's the whole point of this focus from a, a regional qualification structure like this. It, it keeps the regions interested because the way that it goes like this, it, it makes sure that the East Asia Pacifics of the world are still going to keep pumping money into junior programs because they know they've only got to get through that that one hurdle if there's a, the single qualifier. And I'm not sure if that's why they did it, but that's a good argument I see for them maintaining that regional qualification is that it, it means a lot of those countries that may not otherwise have been investing will because there's a different pathway to a World Cup and and no more evident here with Japan with only a brand new under-19s program. Yeah, the under-19s World Cup, the format, they've tinkered with it over the years, but they seem to have settled on this regional pathway, at least for the last couple of editions. And as we discussed a couple of episodes ago, I think that's a really good way to go about it because getting to the World Cup is a goal in itself, and that's a good way of drumming up interest back home in Japan. And for a team like Japan, that obviously they're not going to make the Senior World Cup, and obviously they're a long way off making the T20 World Cup. This is the perfect opportunity for them to you know, have a chance on the world stage. And so as a development tool, I think that's really really valuable and I know it's disappointing for Nepal who missed out on you know a rain affected game but the UAE showed that they're a pretty good team so I don't think Nepal can really complain too much because they were beaten out by a better side and, and, and that happens. 
I, I did want to bring up UAE just quickly before we, we do move on. To me, they look like the best chance of all of these associate members of getting a good result. They were perhaps a little bit unlucky to, to lose to South Africa on DLS, but I don't think they were going to get there even if the rain stayed away. But they definitely showed glimpses. You know, Jonathan Fiji was excellent and he looks a, a very organized player, times the ball really well. And I was amazed actually by the timing of Richa Aravind. Uh, he made a score of only 31 against South Africa, but the sound off the middle of his bat was something to behold and it's not often you see something like that so strong at under 19 level so that's definitely something to to move forward with definitely some great potential in that UAE squad uh Nigeria were arguably in the in the toughest group in the tournament and went 0-3 probably could have performed a little bit better but again it was a very very difficult to, to get anything out of that group and, and likewise for Scotland who also fell to lose every game there but in terms of the emerging nations Afghanistan still flying the flag they've got a quarterfinal coming up and they were excellent in their win over South Africa and look potentially good value of uh, reaching that semi-final stage once again. Uh, quickly moving on now we've seen the Dutch announce their squad for their six-match series away in Namibia between March 20 and April 1st. All the matches are being played at the Wanderers Cricket Ground in Vintook, a place that holds a special place in all of our hearts. Just quickly going through the squad, uh, Peter Salar's captain, Max O'Dowd, Ben Cooper, Vikram Singh, Tobias Vise taking the gloves, Scott Edwards given a rest, Baz Deleder, Colin Ackerman, Rolla van der Merwe, Sebastian Bratt returns, Paul van Makeren, Tim van der Huchten, Philippe Boussevin, Sikanda Zulfika, and Vivian Kingmar. Now, there's a couple of players left out there given a little bit of a rest, but it does look to be half experimentation from Ryan Campbell and the other half quite strong. Wrong. Definitely trying to test his team against arguably one of the stronger associate teams at the moment in their own backyard in Namibia. Good preparation for both teams. Obviously, a big 2020 coming up for each of them. Yeah, interesting that he's gone with guys like Vandermeer and Ackerman, who previously have only sort of uh, dropped in for the big tournament sort of things. I think it's a good sign that he's he's doing that. That they're, they're giving them some game time because, as we saw leading into the T20 World Cup qualifiers, they were a bit scratchy as a, a unit, and some of those senior guys. Who, who sort of dropped in weren't quite clicking. I mean, they're still getting over the line just through talent, but sending them on a tour as a unit is going to be really helpful for that. Um, yeah, I think seeing Vise back is good. Scott Edwards is obviously a quality player, but Vise, he's had a pretty poor run of form recently, but he's an exciting player and he's the kind of guy you want to be firing because he can really get a team going at the top of the order. I was interested, and this is coming from Bertus de Jong, but uh, Murasa Bukhari was joint second on the, the top class of wicket tally in 2019 with 33 wickets, but it seems like he's nowhere in contention. He hasn't been near a Dutch shirt for, well, a few years now, and it's quite a strange situation because because he's still, he's still playing, he's still taking wickets. So I don't know if there's something going on uh, behind the scenes or, or if he's maybe he doesn't want to play or something. But yeah, I, I would be interested to see why Bukhari hasn't been at least in contention given how much the team has chopped and changed over the last little while. Well, one thing sure about Cambo, and we noticed this last year, is that there is a method to his madness. By the end of the year, he definitely had the best playing squad he could have possibly had when they were so strong in that global qualifier for the T20 World Cup. But before that, he experimented with multiple players. I, I think almost 25 players over the course of the year got a run. So I'm sure there is an explanation for Bukhari's you know, non-selection. So we might hear more about that over the coming days and weeks potentially, but they do look to be a strong side uh, coming up against Namibia who did boast probably their best ever year last year and, and there is quality across the board. So I'm looking forward to that series and hopefully, fingers crossed, we managed to watch that 
uh, in our living rooms or on our computer screens. I'd be very interested to watch that. Uh, finally, boys, we have an upcoming T20 and 35 over series between Germany's women and Oman's women. That's being held at the Oman Cricket Academy in Al Amarat, a near state-of-the-art facility in the cricket world, especially at this level. Five matches to be played, four T20 internationals, and as I said, there's one 35 over match as well, which would probably strike up a, a couple of interesting scenarios given the complexity of that format. Uh, not quite T20 and not quite 50 over cricket, but for, for Germany to go out there and to play in some more international cricket and get some experience in the Middle East can only bode well for their development, Tim. Yes, and good to see some international cricket being played across regions. Um, I think I saw a great little visualisation of the data of the men's T20i rankings and basically Jersey is the missing link between so many teams because there's so much cricket that gets played within regions. There's only a few teams that sort of bridge it and that makes a global rankings table all the more difficult to have accurately reflecting strength of teams and I think more games like this and it's closer flight for Germany and hopefully it's been cost effective for them but no, that's, it's great to see and not really surprised that it's Germany again again on the front foot i see that they're about to launch a new nationally wide bundesliga which i'm assuming is men's cricket only at this stage i think between 12 clubs for the first time which sounds great but it's great to see their women's team taking great strides forward yeah and as you said the fact that it is in the gulf is certainly helped because that area is a bit of a hub for airline transportation and you know coming from europe it's not too bad of a flight so i think we're seeing this again um the facilities obviously are great hopefully we can see some streaming but i'm not confident that's going to happen given yeah oman are reluctant all the time yeah it's disappointing but it's obviously not their first priority i will be interested to see how the germans go oman recently in that tri-series um did quite well germany haven't played much of late and they were on the receiving end of some well some hammerings really in the qualifiers earlier on and just again on, on the oman women's side of things nice to see them doing a bit more with the women's side because i mean obviously uh the the politics around uh women's uh sports and just women in general in that region of the world can be a bit tricky so hopefully oman are uh, going to try and build up the women's team as well and and give them a you know equal footing with the men yeah, looking forward to that series. It begins on the 3rd of February. That's Monday with matches on Tuesday and Wednesday as well. They have the rest day on the Thursday before playing on the Friday and Saturday. And we'll be uh, covering that in earnest either on the podcast or on the website, of course, which is www.emergingcricket.com if you didn't know that already. Now to an emerging cricket idea, and it comes from Hong Kong and New Zealand international Mark Chapman. Chapman's developed the SQ wrist guard, which you may have seen flaunted by some of the world's best players over the last few months. And we were able to catch up with Mark to discuss SQ and his time playing for both Hong Kong and New Zealand. Well, here at Emerging Cricket, we're delighted to be joined by a man who has represented both Hong Kong and New Zealand in Mark Chapman. Chappie, uh, how's things over there in New Zealand at the moment? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, things are good here at the moment. Just enjoying some cricket, as you do. Yeah, it looks like you have been enjoying things uh, playing against India A uh, for New Zealand A and actually knocking up uh, quite an impressive score of 110 not out against the India A touring team, uh, doing it in a victory against them and, and coming in at number six at four for 68. Uh, pretty good feeling to get back out there, but you've also just come off a, a Super Smash campaign as well, where you contributed with bat and ball. So uh, you've been you've been busy over the summer, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. It's been a it's a been a busy old time for us, and you know we're pretty happy to get the, the series win over India. Eh? So not not often you find yourself in in the first twenty overs at number six in a one day. So you know just happy I got the chance to score a few. 
you're a great person to have on the Emerging Cricket Podcast, given that you've played at multiple levels, not only for Hong Kong, but for New Zealand now, but you've often had to juggle uh, work and, and study, and, and now you're putting your uh, engineering studies and work, uh, I guess, to great effect here with um, your SQ uh, wrist guard that I've seen a number of players wear uh, around the, the cricketing circles. It's probably a good opportunity to ask you about that now because it seems to be a quite, an, uh, quite an innovative uh, measure that you have put in. Um, to those who perhaps haven't seen it or haven't seen the likes of Davey Warner and Steve Smith flaunted around, um, ex- explain the, um, the wrist guard to, to everyone. Basically, over the over the winter, New Zealand winter, I decided to um, start a business. It's something I've always wanted to do, and uh, saw an opportunity with a cricket wrist guard, um, a little bit different to a traditional arm guard, where it's more more like a, a sweatband size, maybe just a little bit bigger, and um, offers some protection too. So it's um, not not just the sweatband. There's there's actually a protective insert in it, and so yeah, basically it just bridges the gap between guys that like wearing arm guards and guys that don't have anything on at all. So um, saw an opportunity where you know a number of guys were kind of essentially making their own custom versions, guys at international level, and um, saw an opportunity to to actually bring it to to the market. And you know, really delighted to see you know a number of professional players and elite professional players actually adopt it and. And continue to use it in the in international cricket, which is really good to see. A couple of very high-profile names uh, around Australian cricket, but I have noticed them around the world. Are you a, a personal wearer of the product, and and what do you think is the advantage to to you to to use something like this? Yeah, so I've in my in my cricket career almost to date, I've I've traditionally worn an arm guard, um, but have switched to to the Eski wrist guard, um, and basically it. it it just sort of does away with the traditional need for Velcro and straps. And, you know, you, you can't actually feel it when you're batting. That's the, that's the feedback I've had for, from a number of players that it essentially feels like you're wearing a sweatband. So you don't, you don't, you don't even notice it. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, you know, I'm pretty fortunate with the connections that I have in the cricketing world to, to be able to, to reach some of the best players in the world. And, it's available to the public as well. Um, what, what's the best way for, for someone out there to, to, to purchase the product? We're just building relationships with a number of different cricket stores uh, worldwide. Um, but the easiest way is, is probably if you're based in Australia or New Zealand um, is to go onto our website, sqsports.com, um, and purchase from, from there. We've just got an online store where, where the stock's available. We're actually going to sell out pretty soon of a few different colours. Um, and so we're just in the process at the moment of, of, of ordering some more, um, which is a good sign. So Chinese New Year doesn't help with a, with a few factories closed and whatnot. But, um, you know, hopefully we'll have some more stock soon and get, get shipping available to more places than just Australia and New Zealand shortly. And SQ is spelled E-S-C-U. Uh, so it's sqsports.com. Uh, what's the meaning behind the name, Chappie? The meaning, it means shield. So it's a, it's a derivation from Old French. Um, the brand is built around the idea of protection, um, and so yeah, it's it's quite succinct, and it's uh, I think I think it's quite cool. It's been roughly ten years since you entered international cricket in a way, you know, that under nineteen World Cup where you played against the likes of of Root, Vince, and Stokes, and and playing senior cricket for Hong Kong, and now 
representing New Zealand, uh, the senior team there as well. But given all that engineering chat and, and all the, the SQ chat, um, what were your experiences in terms of juggling the likes of, of work and study with cricket? Because associate cricket, it puts you in a, in a precarious position where you often have to juggle both of those things together. I guess so. if you look back, at, it is, has been a long 10 years, 25, so hopefully it's still young in my career. Um, and yeah, I mean, starting at 15, balancing at that age school and, and cricket was something I always just had to do. So um, I guess it was just normal for me. And, you know, once, once I finished school, I wasn't really in a position to go into cricket full time. So um, I studied in, um, at the University of Auckland in mechanical engineering and just got underway with my degree and um, it was only until my, my my last year of engineering that I actually became a professional cricketer and and I managed to balance the two um, just for the last year and miss a few first class games for exams and whatnot um, but other than that I was pretty fortunate in the way that it worked out and you know I was able to complete my studies alongside playing associate cricket for Hong Kong and then First class cricket for Auckland. And is it true that you you flew in just a day before that debut one day international after an engineering uh, exam? Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is true. It, I uh, finished. Or I guess I finished one evening in an exam, and it was on the plane that night for for a long flight to Dubai, and then was out the next day in forty degree heat playing a one day international against UAE. Um, so yeah, it was that was a kind of a crazy 48 hours shifting focuses uh going going back and and you were obviously very young when you when you started your international career for hong kong 15 debuting for the under 19s team then 16 debuting for the senior team the one day debut of course one day international debut came a little bit later than that obviously with, with the status situation but what was the feeling like you know debuting at 16 for the senior side how did you find out about uh, you being picked, what were the nerves like? How do you think you performed, and what was it like, sort of jumping up into that that next level of international play? Uh, I guess at fifteen, we had an under nineteen World Cup here in New Zealand, and um, that was quite an eye opener um, in terms of actually going to a world event for the first time. And you know, I guess looking back, I was I was still a young boy, um, and. Yeah, I, I guess at that age you don't you don't really think about what you're doing. You just go out there and and just enjoy and and, and play some free cricket. So, um, you know, I had a couple of good performances there, and and they the the senior team selectors decided to pick me on a on a pre tour to Sri Lanka before the uh, I think it was World Cricket League Division Three, and um, managed to score a few runs in a couple of games. And they said, well, we're gonna we're gonna give you a go and in the actual the actual World Cricket League, so, and that was the that was a home tournament for Hong Kong actually, um, and so yeah, I guess I guess I was technically thrown in the deep end, batting at four um, throughout the tournament, and had a a pretty lean tournament, um, and and yeah, so pretty happy that you, Charlie Burke sort of kept the faith in me, and I managed to score a few runs in the final and. And we were up to Division Two, and that was really the start of things with Hong Kong and and their success. I guess it kind of all aligned with the under nineteen group that we had, um, and the majority of that sort of formed the squad of the of the men's side for years to come. And there was obviously a lot of parallels after that because you played an England team at that under nineteen World Cup that that 
had the likes of Root, Vince and Stokes playing in it to then when you eventually made your New Zealand debut and you were playing against, you know, similar opposition and some familiar names. Um, what was it like coming back a, as a parallel and playing those guys 10 years later? It wasn't really something I'd thought about, actually. Um, I, I highly doubt they'll remember um, that, that particular game. From memory, I don't. I don't think we put in a great performance. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was great. It was great to be out there on the same same field as them, and I guess make my sort of second international cricket debut. Um, and yeah, I guess you know, seeing Liam, Liam Plunkett run in for the first ball was a little bit nerve wracking. But um, you know, he was very kind and bowled a slow ball the first one, and then I thought that that wasn't too bad, and then he bowled a bouncer second ball. So then I was into it. Thinking about that and seeing a few of these associate teams at the recent Under-19 World Cup playing for the first time against full member opposition and there's a golfing class, not necessarily technically, but perhaps in, in, in bowling speed and, and maybe some guile in, in the way some of the, the spin bowlers go about their things. Um, did you did you notice a big jump in, in terms of that? You know, there's guys that you might have not faced as quick as... Someone like a Liam Plunkett, for example, I know you had experience, you know, as a, as a high schooler in New Zealand, but I'm guessing a few of those teammates of yours at Hong Kong um, noticed a big step up from associate teams to, to full member teams, even at that under-19 level. I, def- I definitely think so. Um, the, we, to be honest, we were, we were pretty tested in that, in that uh, tournament. Um, and, you know, just the class of the, the full member nations shines, shines through and, you know, we had probably four or five players that were that were of, you know, really decent standard, and 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 the rest kind of uh, sort of made up the team, and you know, and it really was was a tough challenge for us because, you know, if, if those those top four or five players, the senior players, don't really stand up, it becomes a really a really steep uphill battle against the full member sides who who do have you know good players one to one through eleven. Your your story is fascinating in that you in represented uh two countries in international cricket and one thing that i always find uh perhaps a little bit frustrating is you know in certain circles you know people can't really understand the idea of being able to represent two different countries um what were what were the the similarities and differences in in representing the two countries you're coming from an associate country you debut there as as a kid and then to become one of very few people who have actually played one day international cricket and T20 international cricket for, for two countries and you're having almost a second debut um, for a lack of a better term. Um, what, what's it like going from, say, being a, a bigger fish in a small pond to, to a small fish in a, in a big pond in cracking the New Zealand system, for example? I guess, well, from a from a young age, I was always a big fan of, of the Black Caps and, you know, with New Zealand heritage as well. Um, you know, that was always a goal of mine. So, you know the fact that I played for Hong Kong too. Um, you know, play the country of my birth. Um, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really think about it that much um, in terms of playing for two different nations because I always felt like I was playing for a for a home nation one one way or the other. Um, and yeah, so you, the progression from from Hong Kong in terms of my cricketing development it was it was pretty crucial really in terms of gaining. When I was a I had a number of years of international cricket behind my belt. Um, before I debuted for Auckland in New Zealand, so um, yeah, it was always it's always been a goal of mine to to, to play for New Zealand, and you know I, I still really want to continue playing for New Zealand um, to try and get back in the team. So 
you know, I guess I, I wouldn't term New Zealand as a, as a big pond, I guess, com- in comparison to Hong Kong it is. But, um, you know, New Zealand, New Zealand cricket is, is, is not huge in itself. But, um, you know, there, there is a good standard of first class cricket here. Did the experience of playing international cricket for Hong Kong give you a leg up in, in a way? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that, that having that international experience before debuting for New Zealand certainly helped you and might have given you a slight advantage over perhaps some other players who were, you know, trying um, and gunning for that spot that you eventually filled? Yeah, I, d- I definitely think so. I think um, I learned things overseas and playing in different countries that, you know, guys that have played 15 years of domestic cricket in New Zealand may not necessarily ever get the chance to learn by just playing locally in New Zealand. So, you know, I guess I guess it, that is an added advantage that I can offer something different to, to most of the people that have just been um, played their cricket only in New Zealand. Well, one of those experiences you did uh, have was playing in the, in the CPL uh, in 2018 for St. Lucia and you know, rubbing shoulders with the likes of uh, David Warner, who, of course, wears the SQ product now. Um, given that you, you've gone around playing um, a lot of places around the world, what was that experience like? And I'm guessing, too, that it gave you a chance to really express yourself as a T20 player as well and to play uh, an aggressive brand of cricket because I'm guessing, you know, that was an opportunity that wouldn't have necessarily presented itself at one point or another. Yeah, I mean it was it was a great uh, it was a great tour of the Caribbean. Um, it's just such a different place in terms of um, you know the people there are really friendly and really relaxed and um, I guess essentially on on island time um, and you have, that takes a little bit of adjusting to and and the brand of cricket they play is is explosive and something I'd, I'd never really witnessed before. The way they go about their cricket is um, is very different to to the way we do things here in New Zealand. Um, and then to rub shoulders with the likes of Pollard and, and Sammy and Warner and, and those guys and just feed off them was, you know, something that you, I just don't get here in playing domestic cricket in New Zealand. To, to look back and, and talk about uh, Hong Kong, uh, how much of their progress do you sort of keep up with? I know you're obviously uh, very busy, you know, participating in your own cricket, but given, uh, you know, their 2019 and, and the difficulties of that uh, T20 World Cup qualifier, um, how much of that did you keep up with and, and how do you assess uh, Hong Kong cricket at the moment? Um, yeah, yeah, I follow Hong Kong cricket on Instagram and, you know, if it's on Crick Info, I'll, I'll have a look at it, the, the, the odd scorecard and obviously if there's a world qualifying event, I'll, I'll follow it and, and see how the guys are doing. Um but I, you know, from the looks of things, there's there's been a lot of personnel change in the last sort of two to three years, and you know a lot of the names in, in the side now are not not actually names that I'm that, are that overly that familiar with. So there has been a lot of change in the side, and I think you know obviously they're going through some sort of rebuilding phase with the with the loss of a lot of senior players in recent times. Uh, moving forward for you now, um, 2020. What what does the year hold for you in, in terms of both, you know, on the field and, and, and off the field with your engineering exploits? Yeah, so uh, we're probably about halfway through the New Zealand domestic season. Um, so I've got a well, another four-dayer against NDRA coming up this week and I'm literally just trying to take it game by game. So, I mean, there's there's a big New Zealand black cap summer still still to come. So hopefully at some point uh, I'll be able to take part in that. And, and if not, I'll just con- continue applying my trade for Auckland and keep learning as I go. Um, and then looking forward to the winter, um, 
the business i guess the business side of things will, will come to the fore and you know keeps keep expanding askew and, and the brand that it is and you know trying to reach as many people as we can um because a lot of a lot of people that actually have seen the product now so it's just about educating them that what where, where to find the product and and what what we do as a brand and and then looking forward to the end of 2020 you know there's a there's a t20 world cup so you know potentially in the mix for that so if, as long as i just keep performing and and you know hopefully i'm a chance to, to go to australia next year or this end of this year uh, Mark Chapman, thanks so much for joining us here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I know we're we're moving into the to the night there in in Christchurch, but good luck with the rest of your uh, home tour against uh, India, A, and, and hopefully um, a prosperous rest of the summer with with Auckland in, in the in the Plunkett Shield and the other New Zealand domestic cricket. And hopefully, um, Eskew continues to go on in leaps and bounds because it looks like it's a great idea, and and certainly many players are, are jumping onto that idea. So congratulations on that, and thank you for joining us once again. No problem. Thank you very much. Once again, a huge thank you to Mark Chapman for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Now to some news to round out today's show and some news that broke yesterday. Chris Gale has signed for the Pokhara Rhinos in the Everest Premier League in what is the biggest signing in Nepali franchise T20 cricket history. Uh, the league confirmed the news yesterday in Kathmandu, and he joins fellow West Indian Dwayne Smith in the league, as well as 34-year-old Upul Tharanga and Mohammad Shahzad of Afghanistan as full member signings for the T20 tournament this year. That begins on March 14, and we'll be keeping you up to date with that one as well. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platforms, and make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcast. For now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner, and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.